Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. This rebel prophet, uh, pagans uh, who are more obedient than Jonah is, a very large fish that is God's severe mercy to Jonah. Uh, We experience Jonah's 90-degree repentance and the Ninevites' 180-degree repentance because of a five-word sermon in Hebrew that brought the greatest revival in world history. And with all that in mind, uh, we reach this grand finale of this, this epic comedic story where everything and everyone does the right thing. Everything and everyone obeys God but the prophet of God. But before we jump into Jonah 4, help me to pray real quick. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you that your grace is not um, without effect in our lives. Uh, We thank you uh, that you are for us, that we sit here, we stand here uh, knowing uh, that we don't come here to prove ourselves. We do not come here uh, to make something of ourselves. We come here to discover uh, in truer and in deeper ways what is already true of us, that we are called the beloved. And so I pray that you would draw us near, Holy Spirit, and that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful. Help me to rem- remember the things that will be. And more than anything, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said? And the church said? Anger. Anger can be destructive. Uh, And there's a lot of anger in our world that leads to ruin uh, because anger is like this raging forest fire with the power to devastate. But we naturally assume because of that, because maybe in our lives and the lives uh, of those around us, we've only seen sinful anger. We assume that all anger is bad or sinful. But anger, even anger, if it's, even if it, as it's misused or abused for the majority of our human experience, it is an emotion, it is a response that should be. But for a lot of Christians, we, we, um, we have no category uh, for being angry or sad, really, in the church. We, we try to hide those things or run away from those, uh, those emotions, those states of being. But one reason why anger is a good thing in our lives, why we could at least use it in our lives, is because it reveals what we really love. Your anger... What you express anger for and towards will, it reveals what you really love, whether that is good or evil, healthy or unhealthy. Anger, simply put, is this. It is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4 to be angry and do not sin. And so there is a way that we can be angry and righteous. And in a world that is filled with violence, Our world, the world that we inhabit, the world uh, that's filled with abuse and all kinds of evil, we should feel angry. Anger should make its home in the uh, cornucopia of our emotions. And yet, when we hear about the violence in the world or the evil in the world or the abuse in the world, what we normally feel is not anger. We feel this cocktail of, like, impotence and, like... Like we can't do anything about it, and guilt. 
because we haven't done anything about it. We reserve our anger for other things. We reserve our anger for our kids when they're not listening. We reserve our anger for traffic when it's not moving or that incompetence in that manager that it just shouldn't be. How did that person get promoted? We all experience that. And if you haven't, maybe that's, maybe, like, maybe that's you, right? But we've all experienced incompetence at work and we were angry about that. For the most part, but not exclusively, for the most part, we reserve our anger for things that we shouldn't because what we love is disordered. Our loves are disordered. Reveals, anger reveals what we actually love. I'm going to say this today, that anger is a prophet to our hearts. It's a prophet to our hearts because, and, and it's scary because prophets do what? Prophets aren't here to tickle your ears. Prophets don't tell you what you want to hear about yourself. Prophets expose and reveal what we don't want to hear about ourselves. And anger and sadness reveal what we love. They are prophets to our souls. What we get sad about and what we get mad about, they uncover what really motivates me, what really motivates us, what really drives our actions and our decisions. And maybe this is why we run from them. Because, listen, we say we love God. I don't think there's a person in this room who will not agree to the statement, I love God. I love God. We say we love one another. We say that we love the world or have a heart for our culture or want to see people come to know Jesus. But our anger and our sadness reveal a whole different story. Let me, let me just issue a caveat here because I'm not speaking of unexplained sadness that may come from a, a, a mental health diagnosis like depression. That's not what I'm speaking to today. But as we close out the rebel prophet, both anger and sadness are going to come to the surface of the story and motives get revealed and hearts get exposed. And what we're going to see is Jonah's anger burn hot and God's compassion run deep. Come back with me to verse one real quick. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was back in my country? That it is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and that you're merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, it is better for me. Just take my life. It is better for me to die than to live. And God responds, he says, do you, well, do you do well to be angry? It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Exceedingly. Literally. It says Jonah was a very great angry. That, that word exceedingly, he was a great angry. Because all throughout the story, this word great comes up over and over and over again. In chapter 1, there, were, uh, there was a great storm. And the sailors feared a great fear. And God provided a great fish. And in chapter 3, Nineveh was a great city. And from the least to the great ones, all repented. And now here in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah is a great angry. But people, what he's angry about. Remember, he's angry that God is gracious. He's angry that God is merciful, that he's slow to anger, that he gave the Ninevites, those dirty pagans, another chance to repent because he's full of chesed, he's full of loyal love, and he relented from the disaster that he said would come. Remember that five-word sermon in Hebrew as Jonah drags his feet a third of the way into the city. 
And what were his words? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He goes outside of the city and he waits. Jonah's in two minds here, as, as many of us are. Jonah is not a one-dimensional character. He is complex. On the one hand, Jonah's saying that he's, he's angry because God is gracious. On the other hand, this is what happens in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. That, feels that should alert us. To that feels very weird to me because... For one moment, he's inside of the city, he's preached, he's having this conversation with God about how angry he is, angry enough to die because he knows how gracious and compassionate he is. But then God asks him, like, are you, like, are you right to be angry? And he storms out of the city like a petulant child, and then he waits. He waits to see what would become of the city. See, the sense here is that Jonah is hoping against hope, hoping that God will not be true to his character of being gracious, and he's hoping, he is waiting, he is wishing that God would rain hellfire on this city, which, by the way, it deserves because of the violence that has gone up to God. Remember in, in chapter 1, violence reached up to God. And there's a battle going on within Jonah. He knows that God is gracious, but he wants to see these pagans wiped out. And Jonah is angry. He is despondent. He becomes suicidal. He is exhausted. He goes over to the east of the city. He would rather die than to see the city of Nineveh renewed and saved. And things start to look up for a moment in, in verse 6. Listen to this. The Lord God, he appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was what? Exceedingly glad because of the plan. He was a great glad. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked again that he might die. It is better for me to die than to live. But God, verse 9, said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well enough to die. Like, have we been there? Like, like we're, it's, just, it's just illogical. For, uh, like, it's like, I would rather die than, like, sit in this traffic for five what a roller coaster. Jonah goes from being a great angry to being a great glad. He's angry about God showing people grace, but he's happy about what? He, like, what is he ha He's not happy just because it's a plant, right? He's not just someone in our culture who's trying to find, like, zen in their home, in this self-care culture that we live in. No, he's obsessed with his comfort, like, it's his comfort that's taken away. He's angry enough to die because his comfort is taken away. This guy is wild. I mean, but this guy is us. And so what does Jonah's great anger reveal about his heart? It reveals this, and it could reveal this about us, that even, even as a prophet of God, his heart was not formed by this God. Even as a prophet of God, his heart was not formed in the way of love. It's possible for us, and you know this. You know this. I know this. It's very possible for us to be 
outwardly close to God, doing things for God, and yet having, having our hearts far, far from him. And Jonah's anger, our anger reveals just that. He's angry that God is God. He's angry that God is free to be gracious. He's angry that the enemies of the people of God catch a divine break. He is a hater extraordinaire. Like there, there's no one who, who's, who's like, who owns this moniker of hater than Jonah. The fact that he is so angry that his enemies catch a break. He was much more committed to the idea that the Jewish people, the Israelites, had an exclusive claim on the grace of God. Much like we are much more committed to the idea that we belong to God, but our hearts could be far from him. At the same time, he knows. He knows what it means to be part of the people of God, that God means to use Israel for the world. And essentially, this is what Jonah's anger reveals. It, it essentially reveals the, the very same dynamic that is happening in Genesis chapter 3, the same dynamic that is happening in the heart of Adam and Eve. And this is the, the dynamic. His anger reveals that he thinks he knows better than God. That, that's what it reveals. And then Jonah gets happy about this plant and then angry that it gets taken away. His comfort is taken from him. And it highlights, again, that Jonah is not, he's far more committed to his religious identity than he is to the God who is gracious and compassionate. It highlights that what he really loves is his own comfort over and above the salvation of his enemies. And what does what we get angry about? What does what I get angry about reveal about what I love? When was the last time that I was angry, that you were angry about a real injustice in the world? I mean angry. When was the last time that we were angry about the fact that the world is broken? But when was the last time that I was angry about my little kingdom of comfort being invaded? You see, anger and sadness are major prophets in our lives. They tell us the things we don't want to know about ourselves. And this is the reality, that we love comfort over people. And so when there are things in our lives that impede on our comfort, we go ballistic. And we're willing to hurt others with our words, Anyone, anyone who gets in the way of my comfort, my right to be comfortable, at least we're willing to ignore the cries of those in our world, the cries of the oppressed, and we build up a fortress of our own comfort. We love being respected, and so when we get any kind of sense of disrespect, our backs get up, our claws come out, and we can use words to murder people. The power that we have with our words, is massive. Remember what James says. James says that the tongue is, is like a rudder in a, you know, in a ship. Something so small, something so small can wreak so much havoc. We get caught off in traffic or we let someone through without giving, you know, them giving us the thank you wave. We'll get angrier about that than we will about the fact that there are millions and billions of people in the world today who will face God as judge rather than father. 
And that's like, can we be real? For a mo- like, is this okay for us to, to say? We say we love the lost, but what does our anger and our sadness reveal? We are far sadder about not getting that raise. We're far sadder about uh, not, uh, you know, getting approved for that home loan. We're far sadder that the scale did not go south this week than we are for the fact that there will be people who will face God as judge rather than father. What grieves us reveals us. And for us and for Jonah, we can call ourselves the people of God all we want. But does our anger and our joy and our decisions and our sadness reflect that confession? And for some of us here, I suspect that the Spirit is pressing on you even now and comforting you. Right now, you're being comforted by the fact that you are walking in obedience and being shaped by the heart of God. And for others, let me remind us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because there is a world of difference between hearing these words and feeling condemned and feeling convicted. Condemnation is going to lead you to act like Jonah, to lick your wounds, to go outside of the city, and just to self-pity yourself. But conviction Conviction, your next steps could look like gospel-fueled resolve to be shaped by the kingdom of God and its priorities. It will look, it will look like gospel-motivated action to live, not just in line with outwardly following Jesus, but to actually have our hearts shaped by his desires, have our desires align with his. That's what conviction, that's what the Spirit does, helps us to form our hearts and align our hearts with God's. And, and here the text tells us what God's desires are. Verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. You're sad over the plant. You're compassionate over this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. I did that. Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Things that come and go here today, gone tomorrow, Jonah was willing to die for. But people made in the image of God? Meh. All right. Yeah, so they, you know, deal, you know, God deals with them, allows them to feel the result of their sin, and then they end up in eternal separation and damnation from him, eh. but man, this plant, that's pissing me off. My comfort, the, the shade that it provided for me, that makes me angry. Jonah had pity, he had compassion, he suffered for this plant that provided for him a measure of comfort and cared not a lick for the Ninevites. And it's going to be very possible for us as a church to, to do what we do and look good doing it, and grow and do this and do that, and not give a lick about why we exist, which is not for us. We exist for the sake of the world. And here, God, we see God's heart on full display, the reality and the severity and the weight of his own suffering for the sake of the world. The word pity has a sense of emotional attachment and suffering in the same way that compassion does. And when God looks at the world, you, you have to understand just how violent these Ninevites were. They were a reckless and ruthless people. They, they, this, is not, this is not God just showing compassion to nice people. 
This is God showing compassion to people who were ruthless. They were known for their severity. And God, what does God see? What does he feel when he sees them? He pities them. He loves them. He has compassion for them. He suffers for them. He is saddened for them. He loves the idea that God is this evil and capricious being who's just waiting to pounce on sinners is simply false. That's Jonah. That's not the God that we see in Scripture. And this is not to deny the deep vein of justice that runs and courses through, if God had veins, justice, rightness, righteousness would course this is not to deny that but this is to highlight the fact that god is long suffering and wants to bless the world and is deeply committed to blessing the world and whereas we worry about our little kingdoms and get upset when our comforts are taken from us god hearts break over the city of violence over the city who doesn't deserve grace who don't know their left hand from their right who are completely and utterly lost. And ironically, it's the person in this story who has received grace, who has been incorporated into the people of God, is the same person who doesn't understand it. He hasn't understood that grace has come to him on the way to this pagan nation. The reality is this, that before we do any evangelism training here, before we run an alpha course, before we talk about the ways that we can share Jesus with our friends and our family, we need to come face to face with the reality that even while all of that may be helpful, we must come face to face with what we love. Because you will share what you love, period. I've said this over and over again. No one has to teach you to share what you love, what you enjoy, and what we truly love may not be what we say we love. And that's the point. Do we love? Do we suffer with, for? Do we feel deep pity? Do we have compassion for those who are far from Jesus and are undeserving of his grace? Because it's so easy to want grace for people that look like they deserve it. Those are upstanding people. That, that person kind of like already acts like they deserve grace. The question beneath the question is this, that are our hearts, is my heart, aligned with the heart of God? And even as we face a difficult question like this, and I'm not asking this rhetorically, I'm asking you, well, sort of, but I really want you to like, wrestle with that question here. I want you to wrestle with the question, is my heart aligned with the heart of God? And even as we face this difficult question, our first grace-filled step towards living as the people of God is what? is to live in the light. It's actually to come into the light and repent. It's waking up to the reality that is, not the reality that we think God expects of us right now. It's much better right now to admit to yourself today, hey, actually, my heart, my will, my desires, where my money is going, my decisions, my affections, how I use my body, it's not aligned with the kingdom. It's much better to say that today rather than live in self-denial and delusion because, listen, it's only when we admit that we are broken that we can actually be healed. We have to get there. We have to get to the point where we can be honest with ourselves and honest with God. And this is the paradox of the kingdom, that when we, when we admit that we are failures— when we admit that we're wrong, when we admit that we are sinful, when we admit that we are broken, when we come to the end of our competence 
It's then and only then that God can step in and work in and through us powerfully. I want to say that again. It's only when we come to the end of ourselves. It's only when we come to the end of our own competence. It's only when we begin to live in the reality of the messiness of my heart and what I truly love that God can finally begin to work through us. Let me just wrap this up. I'm going to invite Zach and Elle up. But over the past four weeks, we've seen this. We've seen a critique of this self-righteous religiosity. We've seen everything and everyone obey God except the prophet of God. What, what the story is meant to do for us, it's supposed to reveal us to us. It's supposed to allow, it, it allows our anger and what we feel pity or sadness for to reveal to us what we truly love. And to know, and to know this, that we can bring all of our messiness we can bring all of our hypocrisies. Did you know that? Did you know that you can bring your hypocrisies to God? You can bring all of your hypocrisies. You can bring all of your sin, all of your brokenness to God to heal in us and to allow our own woundedness to be the places through which God's grace shines because God is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is full of loyal love and ultimately this divine pity that we see in the heart of God for the Ninevites is simply the posture he has for the world that has gone rogue. This is what we need to realize. We are Nineveh. We are Jonah. Like you and I. We're not here to show off our spiritual competence. But we're here to receive grace. And the world desperately needed and needs a far better prophet than Jonah. A prophet that actually mirrors the heart of God, that embodies his love for the world. A prophet that has compassion for the wounded, the weak, and the enemy. A mediator who would come near and not just visit the city of violence, but one who would take on flesh and enter the city of violence. Our world of death and decay, and he made his home with us. One who would allow himself to be swallowed up by death. Thank you, Jesus, on our behalf, making it possible once again for us to partner with God for the renewal of all things. One, we needed a prophet that would give up his comfort and embrace the cross for the sake of the world. And thank God, thank God, that he has not left it up to me and up to you. But God himself would come for us in the life and the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Jesus. And so whether you're here and you're feeling like an irreligious Ninevite or a self-righteous Jonah, he invites us to all come home. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Holy Spirit, now that you are revealing, even in this room, our Ninevite tendencies and that you have grace for us. And for others, you are revealing to us our Jonah-like self-righteousness. And thank you for revealing to us the parts that we may have been denying about ourselves. And help us to live in the light. Help us to remember that repentance is an invitation to life. An invitation to embrace who you are making us to be. An invitation 
to remember the voice of love which says, you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I am proud of you, God says. Help us to live out of that reality. We can't do this on our own. We cannot drum this up emotionally. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be doing a, a beautiful and mighty work in this room this afternoon. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.